to start out with, just kind of a question. Um, and please be honest. You know, let's, we're, all, we're all friends here. Um, not currently, but have any of you guys ever, show of hands, in the past, had people in your lives you would have considered enemies? Yeah? You called them that, maybe, in your own mind? Like, those are my enemies. Or maybe frenemies. Um, those are always good. That's what we're talking about today. So I think this applies to all of us. Um, <laughs> I remember for a long time, I used to think that Christianity was basically you get saved and then you just kind of wait it out until heaven. You know what I mean? Like you get saved, you're like, sweet, I have avoided consequences. And then you're just like, now I'm just gonna coast and just try to be a good person and then I'll get to heaven and then that's when like the real journey starts. And what I've been learning just in my own life is that this life here on earth, God is preparing us so much for heaven. Um, When Jesus came to earth, he came to set up the kingdom, and the kingdom of God ultimately, when we die and when we're in heaven with Jesus in our perfect bodies, that's when we're going to be fully seeing what the kingdom of God is. But Jesus came to earth to start building that kingdom now. And it's crazy. Everything we do affects that kingdom. I've told you guys before. Every action of kindness, every action of obedience, you're, you're laying a brick in the kingdom of God. So it's very important that we understand that we are here on earth living out the kingdom. Like Jesus didn't come to just say, hey, in heaven, this is what it's going to be like. When he taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray this, God, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus wants us as Christians to live on earth the way we will be living in heaven, which can be a huge challenge to us. It's a whole new way of thinking. In Psalm 103, verse 19, it says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So his kingdom doesn't just rule over the heavens, but it rules over earth. And if you're a Christian, you look at God as your king. You look at Jesus as your king, and you say, Jesus, I'm not going to just watch TV, and I'm not just going to you know, read the newspaper, and whatever my culture says is the right thing to do is what I'm going to do. You're going to subscribe to Jesus' way of thinking, which is awesome. Jesus says to us, he doesn't say like a casual suggestion of what we are as Christians. He doesn't say, hey, Christians, you can be the light, and if you want to be the light, then here's what you could do. No, Jesus says, you are the light, and since you are the light, let me tell you what the light should be doing, because if you're not doing this, then that means that's weird, because you're, you're a light. It'd be like if you turn on a flashlight, and instead of a light coming out like a, a cupcake came out. You'd be like, what? That, that's not what a flashlight is supposed to do. In the same way, God has said, you are the light. So if you're not acting like a light, there's something completely wrong with us. Another analogy would be, let's say you sign up to become a fireman, just like the same way you sign up to become a Christian. You, you accept Jesus in your heart. You say, Jesus, I'm joining your team. If you signed up to become a fireman and there was a fire and the chief is like, with his big old chief mustache, he's like, hey, head over there to the fire, because that's what firemen sound like. Um, and, and you were like, oh, well, I don't know if I really feel like fighting a fire today. I mean, it's pretty warm out already. I don't want to get any warmer. Like, it'd be like, no, you're a fireman. Like, you signed up for this. Us as Christians, becoming a follower of Jesus isn't just to get out of jail free card. It's you're signing up to follow the master. So we need to listen to what Jesus says. Now, when Jesus is starting up 
this movement. He's starting up a rebellion, not the way they thought he was. They thought Jesus was starting this rebellion against the Roman government, like Jesus was gonna come in with swords and go kill all the Romans, but Jesus was starting a completely different kind of rebellion, the kind of rebellion that goes against the laws of the world, the laws of Satan, the ruler of the world at the time. Jesus is rebelling against sin. He's rebelling against the normal, sinful way of thinking. So naturally, a question would come up. People would ask Jesus probably lots of different things. Jesus, what do we do about this? What do I do about this? It would come up, Jesus, what do we do about our enemies? What do we do about the Romans who have kept us in, in captivity? What do I do about my friend who robs me? What do I do about the person who gossips about me? Jesus, what do I do about my enemies? Well, Jesus always had something to say, so let's see what he says about this. Jesus says in our text today, this is Matthew 5, verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek Turn the other also to him. And if anyone wants to sue you and take away your uh, tunic, let him have your cloak also. Verse 41, whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow, do not turn away. Verse 43, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? And if you greet your brothers only, if you greet your brothers, then what more do you do than others? Do not even the tax collectors still do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let's pray as we consider what Jesus is trying to say to us. Dear Lord, man, you don't pull any punches. This is amazing stuff. I'm so fascinated by you, God, and what you have to say to us as human beings. And it's so easy just to read this stuff and just kind of nod our heads and go, oh, okay, cool. But Lord, I know you have some deep personal things you want to speak into our life today. So I pray you do so, and I pray you bless us, Lord, as we listen to your word and as we try to figure out, Lord, what are you trying to say to us? I pray you would make it clear. I pray that you would reveal to us your heart for us. In your name, amen. So if you're like me, I hope you were reading this and you were really thinking about it. And if you're like me, when I got done reading this, this is probably one of the hardest things I ever had to study for. Because as I was thinking in my own mind, I was like, wow, Jesus, thanks for the impossible living standards. Like, thank you for that. Thank you for setting up this really high bar about how I'm supposed to react to the people who don't like me and the people who agitate me and the people who hate me. Thank you, God, for, for setting this really high standard of how I'm supposed to deal with them. Because think about it, love your enemies, that's, that's really difficult. And that goes against everything we learned in Saturday morning cartoons and video games. Like, right? What do you do with your enemies in Mario? You destroy them. You hunt them down, and you stomp on their heads, and then you kick their dead bodies towards your other enemies, and you throw fire at them. Like, that's, that's what you do to your enemies. That's what we learn growing up. And in Lord of the Rings, I just saw The Hobbit. The last movie is literally one giant battle scene where people are shooting each other with arrows and ripping the arrows out of their eyeballs and stabbing their other enemies with it. It's just nonstop. Like, that, that's what we do. Like, what? oh, an evil person. 
obviously we go kill them. Like, that's literally what every single movie and every single video game, and even if you read the Old Testament, I mean, what did they do with the enemies? They destroyed them. Like, they didn't go up to Goliath and say, hey, Goliath, let's talk about it. Let's talk about our feelings. They threw a rock at him so hard, I imagine, in my mind that it went through the front of his head and came out the back. And then David this little 12-year-old boy cuts off his head and walks around with it, saying, look what I got! Like, that's, that's pretty crazy. That's, some of you guys probably think that's what I want to do to my enemies. I want to chop off their head and walk around and show all my friends and say, look, I have destroyed the beast and all of her satanic ways. That's how some of us can feel. Um, I had an enemy growing up in school. His name was Michael, and Michael was the bane of my existence. Like, literally everything about this one kid just drove me to such, like, everyone else. I was, I was, I was known as the friend of all. Like, I was known as one of the friendliest guys in school. Like, you could come, and you could tell Aaron anything, and hang out with Aaron, and he'll, he won't judge you, he'll accept you. But this one kid, I literally wanted to kick him so far that he, like, I wanted to kick him into the next week. I wanted to kick him so hard he'd fly into the future. And, and yeah, it, that's, that's what I wanted to do. And Jesus says about our enemies, hey, love them. Love your enemies. Like, love your enemies. What do you mean? Like, like date my enemies? No, that's not what I'm talking about. But Jesus says, love your enemies. And I think when we have the teachings and sayings of Jesus, we can treat them kind of like a bumper sticker or a tattoo, you know, something that looks good on the outside, like something, you know, you could tattoo that on your arm, you know, love your enemies, and it's on your arm, and you're, you're kind of like, you know, here it is, and it, it hurts to get a tattoo, but if it's on your arm, it's just on your arm, and with that same arm that has your love your enemies tattoo, you can punch somebody in the face with the arm that has your love your enemies tattoo, but you know what would really hurt is getting a tattoo on your heart, and I think that's what Jesus calls us to do, to actually take what he says to us and like just tattoo that into our very souls so it becomes a part of us. And that is a very painful process because we have to fully change the way we think and act. Jesus acts, he asks for a complete mind transfusion. A complete, that's not the right word. Um, what would it be where you swap amputation? Someone help me, Luke, what would it be? Transplant, thank you, Brooklyn. Was that Brooklyn? My wife, <laughs> so smart. Luke, Brooklyn is smarter than you. Deal with it. A complete heart transplant. That's what Jesus is asking for. And he says a lot of things here that he really wants us to tattoo onto our heart. So I say, let's learn from what he has to say to us. I think the first thing as I studied this that I felt like Jesus was speaking to me was we need to defend love before we defend ourselves. Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus was a part of a society where they had this crazy Old Testament system that started as a part of Old Testament law. It was a warning against violence. They got everyone together and they were like, guys, things are getting out of hand. This is back in Moses' day. They're like, guys, guys things are getting a hand. Like, people are being violent against one another. So here's what's gonna happen. We're the law, we're the authority. If you get in a fight with some dude and you stab his eye out, 
don't think you're getting away with it because we're going to hunt you down and we're going to stab your eye out. If you chop off a guy's arm, guess what? You're getting your arm chopped off. And if you kill somebody, guess what? We're going to kill you. And it was something that God set in motion through Moses because he wanted the Israelites to have a fear against violence. He wanted them to really think before they acted. If you know that if you stab someone's eye out, that you're going to be hunted down and have your eye stabbed, you're going to really think twice before you stab somebody's eye out. But what happened was, as it does a lot of times, a rule that is set up for a purpose becomes misinterpreted by people later on. So this is years later in Jesus' day, and the people are thinking, they read those Old Testament verses, and they think, oh yeah, that's all about revenge. So whatever you do to me, I'm going to find you, and I'm going to do it worse. I'm going to hunt you down. Whatever you do, man, you steal from me, I'm stealing from you. You kick me, I'm kicking you harder. Like, that's what the Bible says. Whatever you do to me, then I'm going to hunt you down, and and I'm going to get revenge. That's what the people thought. Side note, I love revenge movies. I really do. Does anyone here love revenge movies? I don't know what it is, but like Taken, oh my gosh, his daughter gets kidnapped and his response is like, I don't know if I can do it. He's all, I have a very unique set of skills. I will find you. I will hunt you down and I'll kill you. And he just goes around and he literally, like the people who kidnapped his daughter, he finds every single person who was involved, like every single stinking person who was involved in this. And it ends up being like a hundred people. And I don't know why they needed a hundred people to kidnap some girl, but he finds them and he hunts them down and he destroys them. I remember I saw another one where, uh, it was another one where like a young little girl got kidnapped. And I think it was Denzel Washington or somebody starts hunting down people. And he like, did anyone see that? The one where he like chopped off the guy's fingers, like trying to get a confession. And for some reason I watched that and something inside of me is like, yes, revenge. Batman is my favorite superhero. Batman's entire crusade against crime is because his parents got killed. So he's literally like, I will hunt down every single criminal. I will not stop until I die. Because a crime was committed against me, I will get revenge on every single stinking criminal. And there's something inside of me that honestly loves that. And honestly, it's something sinful (laughs) inside of me that loves that as I had some self-examination, some serious self-examination as I was studying this. Um, But in school, that's how we grow up acting. Some of you guys might have even been taught, you know, like in the video, son, if someone hits you, you got to hit them harder. You get yourself back up and and you kick them in the kneecaps. And and that's what we, that's what we learn. Uh, We learn, you know, revenge, either when it comes to fistfights, you get in school, you hit back. Girls, when it comes to gossip, you get back up and you gossip harder. You, when someone talks trash about you, you take them down, you destroy them because they're, it's, it's totally like a political, tactical thing. If someone's coming after you, then you plot with your friends about, okay, how can we take this person down, mean girls style. We all, I mean, there's something in us, in our, in our nature that just revels in revenge. Even my, my lovely wife has a vengeful nature because I remember one time she was laying on the couch and she asked me to get her a glass of water (laughs) and I got her a glass of water and as I was walking I stumbled and the water swiveled and and a a giant like like just uh, dollop dollop is the best word I can think a dollop of water flew out of the glass and just hit her straight in the face and because she wasn't expecting it the face she made she looked like she had been like stabbed like it was like like uh, it was it was beautiful it was a beautiful face I can't recreate it with this ugly mug, but it was a beautiful, surprised, and shocked face. And she looked at me, and she vowed revenge. She was like, someday, when you're least expecting it, 
I am going to come at you with more water than you have ever had in your life. And, and literally, for months, I was living in dread. And she would remind me at times when we'd be sleeping in bed, she'd have a glass of water, and she'd kind of like dangle it at me like, hey, like you better watch out. And I was living in this fear of revenge in my own home. Pray for me. Um, we, we all have a, a, a revenge nature. I'm sorry. We're um, what? It was not a whole glass. No, it was a dollop. It was a large-sized dollop. It was a, it was a small glass. <laughs> it wasn't a tall glass. Did you ever get me back? <laughs> oh, great. Okay, so here's what Jesus says. He says in verse 39, looking at your Bibles, he says, I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. That's insane. Like, that literally is insane based on everything you know. Someone comes at you and slaps you, and you're supposed to just let them? You're supposed to, like, they slap you on the cheek, and you're like, hey, you missed a spot? Like, is that really what Jesus is calling us to do, to be a pushover? I would, I would say, I really thought hard about this. I would say yes and no. I think it's a yes and no type of situation. I think, I mean, it's tough. It's tough. Let me pull my notes up really quick. I lost my spot. But just for a second while I find my spot, just, just think about how tough it is. Just let that sink in. I want to show you guys a quote by three heroes of mine. This guy right here, Jim Elliott, and then um, Nate Saint, and I forget the other guy's name, but he's awesome too. Look at this quote. This is great. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. Jim Elliott. Has anyone ever heard the story of Jim Elliott? Has anyone not heard the story? Raise your hand if you don't know the story of Jim Elliott. Anybody? Yeah? Okay, so these guys, they're college students who have grown up in the church and they decide they want to become missionaries. And they pick this tribe that no one has ever gone to this tribe of natives in the jungle that nobody has ever reached. And they're known for being violent, and they're known for being just wicked and just evil people. And they, they say, you know what? He's a, he is not a fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. They're talking about their life. And they say, you know what? I can lay down my life for someone else, for the gospel, for Jesus. What, what is my life? Like, I don't need to hold on to my life. Like, I, I, I can't lose it because I have my life in Jesus. So I will give up my life. They went to that tribe to tell them about Jesus, even though they knew they could die. And you know what happened? They showed up. They flew their little Cessna plane. They landed on the ground. They met some natives, some guys in loincloths, and spears came out. And those guys straight up killed them. They tried to tell them about Jesus, and those guys speared them to death. And they had guns with them, but they didn't use them. Because they were like, you know what? We're, we're not going to show up to tell these people about the gospel and then kill them. So they laid down their lives. This is where it gets even crazier. So all these men die, this team of missionaries. Their wives hear about the news. Now, in today's society, what would happen is you'd have a bunch of people who are like, they killed our friends, they killed our husbands, we've got to drop a bomb on that island and kill those natives. You know what the wives did? This is so inspiring to me. The wives were like, you know what? Let's go back to the island and give it another shot. Like, let's try to tell them about Jesus. Can you believe that? Their husbands were murdered. 
these natives should have been considered the mortal enemy of the women and the children who got left behind. These women took their children on a plane, went to that island, and you know what? The second time it worked. They showed up and they told those guys about Jesus. They all got saved. They all got repent, or they all repented. And a beautiful friendship like started between the women and their children. And the, the women stayed as missionaries in that tribe and they raised their children with the people who killed their fathers. And now like that tribe is a thriving like Christian society. That's amazing. That's love. That's laying down our lives. But you know what? That's, that's not what our society calls a hero. In society, what a hero is is someone who cares about self-preservation and retaliation. That means I've got to protect myself. I've got to defend myself. And if someone strikes against me or my family, I've got to hunt them down, and I've got to destroy them. That's what we see as, as a hero. Like in movies, that's really the way it's portrayed is the bad guy attacks and the hero says, you hurt me, you hurt my family. Because you're evil, I'm gonna hunt you down and I'm gonna murder you, whether it's Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or Hunger Games. That's what we see. We see a lot of self-preservation and retaliation. Even I care about self-preservation and retaliation because I was attacked. Uh, you might know, not know, but I was attacked by a little puppy and I was out walking. I was walking with my wife and a puppy came up. It was a little white fluffy puppy and it bit me in the leg and I literally, like I was so angry and I was yelling because I was wearing headphones and you know when you're wearing headphones you talk even louder so this dog bit me and I was like excuse me miss your dog bit me it bit me like I was yelling at this lady and I wanted to kick the puppy um I cared about myself like I cared about preserving my safety I wasn't really thinking about my wife as much I, mean, I was just you know this dog I mean she's not scared of dogs uh, she's lived with dogs but this dog bit me okay and that was terrible so I ran and I yelled like a woman. <laughs> anyway, I think defending love before we defend ourselves should be something that's in our mind. And when I say defend love, I mean defend the concept of love. Like what does Jesus say is the most important commandment? Love God and love people. Love God and love people. Did he say love nice people? And I said, love your neighbor. Well, who's your neighbor? In the tale of the Good Samaritan, Jesus talks about who your neighbor is. It's your enemy. Like, it's not just like the friendly Mr. Wilson who lives next door and brings you a plate of cookies. It's literally like whoever is around you, whether they're good or bad. In the tale of the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan who got beat up by the thieves was the enemy of any Israelite. They were, they were two people who were at war and hated one another. And an Israeli man a pastor and a priest pass by, and they just leave him on the side of the road, but an Israelite sees his enemy. He sees this guy, the Samaritan, and he puts him on his horse, and he takes him to an inn, and he nurses him back to health. He's defending love before he's defending himself. He's saying, God's love for people is more important to me than defending my, my health, than defending my pride. That's a big one. A lot of times it's not our health or our safety that we have to defend against, it's our pride. Someone comes against us and we're like, I'm not talking to them anymore. I'm not dealing with them anymore. It's because our pride has been wounded. But when we put up our fist in defense, when we need to put up our spiritual fist to defend love. And that takes a lot more work. It's the courage to face great difficulty to save someone else. 
It's laying down our lives and our rights. It's through giving of yourself that you will discover who you really are. It's not about self-preservation, it's about self-sacrifice. A lot of times, this whole section about loving your enemies turns into a debate about war, should we go to war, should we fight other people? And I think there's a danger in that to really, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about it, I'll just be honest, like this passage really, I was just like, what does this mean? I think there's a danger in getting too caught up in it because I think focusing on what Jesus is talking about is really important. He's talking about loving your enemy. He's talking about caring more about defending love than defending yourself. And there's nothing left, there's, no, there's nothing life-threatening about getting slapped on the cheek. You know what I mean? Like, getting slapped on the cheek is not an act of war. A lot of times what it is, is it's an act of your pride getting hurt. It's an insult. If someone comes up and slaps you, it's an insult. If I called Scotty up here, and I was like, hey, Scotty, come up here. And I slapped him on the cheek. You guys wouldn't be like, I hope Scotty doesn't die. Like, you wouldn't think that. It wouldn't be life-threatening to him. And you, you wouldn't be thinking, like, it would, it would be embarrassing for Scott if I came up here and I slapped him in front of everybody. And you would think, like, oh, I wonder, like, is he going to slap him back? That's what we would be thinking of. Because as a man, me and Scotty and probably a lot of you guys, I would rather be punched than slapped. I would rather have a dude come up and deck me in the face than have someone like slap me with their backhand. Because when you slap somebody, it's shaming someone. It's, as they say, throwing shade. So the question is, will we strike back? When somebody insults you, when someone hurts your pride, whether it's through a physical slap or whether it's through a comment that is just really mean and insulting, are you going to resist it? Or are you going to defend love? Are you going to put loving that person first? Jesus tells a story in the Gospels about his disciples. He tells them, it's uh, all his disciples, all 12. He says to them, all right, guys, we're going to do the very first missionary journey of all time. I'm going to send you to different towns, and you're going to preach the gospel. So James and John, two brothers, they go to a town. They preach the gospel. No one gets saved. You've been street witnessing with me. There's been many times we've gone out, no one gets saved. So they come back to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, we told them the gospel and no one got saved and they were rude to us and they rejected us. Let's call down fire and destroy the entire town. Yes. And Jesus says, you guys are crazy. I'm gonna call you sons of thunder, which would be an awesome Christian heavy metal band. Also, Brood of Vipers would be a great Christian band name. If any of you guys wanna use that. Anyway, we can't look at the people around us when they're sinning and when they're messing up and just think, God, call down fire on them. God wants us to love them and to reach out on them. So what does that mean? If, if, you're, if you're getting insulted, whether it's a, a family member or a friend or whether you're online, whether you're on Instagram and someone just posts a really mean negative comment, whether you're on a texting someone and they just send something that is so rude, don't respond with fists. Don't respond with mean, negative comments back. Don't respond with screenshotting whatever they sent you and sending it to all your friends saying, look how dumb she is. Look how, what an idiot this guy is. But turn back to face them in love. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. Remember what Jesus did. When people accused him of things he didn't do, he remained silent. He didn't cut back with a negative comment like, well, Pilate, let me tell you how dumb you are. 
Or, hey, Roman soldiers, you guys are idiots. Let me tell you why. Or he didn't like, I mean, Jesus, he, had, he basically, he had powers. Like, Jesus could have literally been like, and like turned them into like pancakes or something and then ate them. He literally, literally could have done that if he wanted to. And it would have been really ahead of his time because their pancakes weren't even invented. So it just would have really blown people's minds. He could have done that. But Jesus lets them attack him. He lets them accuse him. He doesn't respond. Think about it. The entire time Jesus was being crucified and beaten and attacked, his response was always love. It was, I'm letting this happen because in the long run, I care about these people who are abusing me and I want them saved. Think about that. We don't need to respond to every person who comes at us with a heated debate about how we're right and they're wrong. We need to respond with love and patience. We need to be the first to apologize, which can be really hard when you're upset about something with somebody, being the first, because you know, someone starts something and you get into them with them and you start arguing back and you start saying things that you wish you hadn't said, but in your mind, it's, well, they started it and I wouldn't have said the things that I said if they hadn't first started this. So I'm not gonna apologize until they do their part of apologizing first. And sometimes as followers of Jesus, we need to just be the first ones to apologize. Hey, I'm, during that fight, I said some really mean things. I'm so sorry. Sometimes we do that, we love, we defend love more than we defend ourselves, and you just watch the hearts of your enemies melt from the love of Jesus. The problem is, the risk for us is that we're offering our other cheek. You know what I mean? It's what Jesus says. Someone hits you, and instead of hitting them back, you're like, I'm sorry. And you turn, and now that other cheek is exposed, and you might get smacked again. That's the, that, that is the reality. You, as a follower of Jesus, if you do not defend yourself in a fight, if you, whether it's a physical fight or whether it's a verbal fight with somebody where you're just arguing with them, if you turn the other cheek, you might get smacked again. But as you're defending love, you'll be reflecting Jesus. And as you turn that other cheek, people won't just see you, they'll see Jesus. And I think that really affects people. I think it really affects people when they see Jesus in you. Let's go to the next point, okay? The next point is, Jesus says, go the extra mile. What does he say? He says, whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. If you guys don't know what he's referring to, in the context, back in this time, Roman soldiers had complete control over Israel at the time. So any Roman soldier could see a Jewish citizen and say, hey, you, I've got armor, I've got swords, I've got shields. Hey, peasant, come carry my stuff. I don't want to carry my stuff. Come carry my stuff. And they would throw the sword and the shield and the armor, and they'd give it to this Jewish peasant, and he'd say, come walk with me for a mile. Let's carry this stuff. It's Jesus isn't just referring to if someone's like, hey, I'm, I'm at camp and I don't know my way around. Like, will you please go a mile with me? Like, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about when somebody like, like causes you discomfort and says, hey, let's go. Jesus says, don't just go with them one mile, go with them two. Can you imagine? Like, if I'm a Jewish citizen and a Roman guy hands me all this stuff, I'm like, I, I would want to stop as soon as possible. And like, okay, I'm like counting the steps, like, okay, I walked a mile. That's all you're legally allowed to tell me to do. And throw it down, just be like, forget you. 
But Jesus is like, be the guy who's like, oh, you, you want to take advantage of me and you want to like, like ask me for stuff and you want me to help you with your, like your burdensome problem? Yeah, I'll help you. How many miles do you need to go? One? Hey, I can go two. Like, let me help you. Like, hey, you, my enemy, my oppressor, let me help you. Let, can I bless you? Can I just blow you away with how much love I have? Guys, you will. I mean, I'm, I'm so at fault in this. Um, in my own life, I, as a junior high counselor, there was a kid named Dana. You guys remember Dana, okay? Dana's awesome. I love Dana. In junior high, I remember I was, it was at camp, and I'm a counselor, and I'm, I'm worshiping, you know, and I'm in the back, and I'm, like, so excited because I was a junior high counselor, and I was like, oh, I want to pray with the kids. I love praying for kids. That's one of my favorite things to do at camp is when we go up and we get to pray with people. Back then, I was a counselor, so I got to stand in the back, and any of the stragglers and the kids who were too embarrassed to walk up front, you know, they'd come to me in the back, and it was always awesome. It was always a blessing time, and I'm getting ready to pray for people, and all of a sudden, Dana comes up, and he's like, I got a headache. And I was like, all right, buddy, like, let, just chill, just sit, just sit down. He's like, I need to go to the infirmary. And I was like, no, Dana, we're not going to do that. And he's like, please. And he starts weeping. He starts crying. He's, he's like a seventh grader or something. I'm like, okay, fine. So I start walking with him to the infirmary. And he's crying. And we get halfway across the bridge. And all of a sudden, he turns off the tears and starts saying, hey, do you know what my favorite Pokemon is? Let me tell you. And I was like, oh, Dana. Like in my mind, I was like, I should be in there praying for people and I'm taking you and your dumb problems to the dumb infirmary. <clears throat> I, that, that year I took like 50 million kids to the infirmary, like every kid who got their toe stubbed. Or probably some of you I took there for your problems, <laughs> your bee stings and your, your boo-boos and all that. Junior high, abandoned, fixed everything. So I go to the infirmary with Dana and the guy's like, well, your problem is you just haven't been drinking enough water, which I honestly think is their stock answer for every problem. I don't think they actually know medicine there, and they're just like, yeah, you should, well, you got leprosy, uh, more water, probably, you're probably dehydrated. That's like their stock answer at camp. Um, anyway, though, so I, the whole time I'm just like, this is so dumb, he, this, this dumb kid. <laughs> like, why didn't he drink water like I told him to? Come on, man. And the Lord really spoke to me, and he's like, Aaron, Go the extra mile for people. Like, even if it inconveniences you, even if it annoys you, like, this, this kid is my child, and I love him. And how many times do you put me through stupid stuff, Aaron? How many times does your sin put me where I'm taking you and I'm walking with you, and I'm like, how could you do this again? But I love you. That's what you need to be to people. And it always stuck with me. I mean, think about it. Jesus went the extra mile. Jesus always goes the extra mile. In the Bible, it says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus went the extra mile. He could have just come down to earth and be like, all right, guys, I'm God. Here's my teachings and see ya. But he stuck around and he washed people's feet, dirty, nasty feet, and he died on a cross. And now he's here living with us, going through all of our stupid problems, all of our sin, all of our mistakes, and helping us through it and helping us to become more like him. That is amazing. The application for this, I think, to go the extra mile is when your mom asks you to clean up, don't just shove everything underneath your bed or in your closet. Like, clean. Bless your mom. Do something nice for your parents. Go the extra mile. 
When your teacher asks you to do your best, don't just go on cliff notes and plagiarize everything from other people, but <laughs> you're laughing because it's true. Um, like, don't, like, like, school we look at it as an obstacle that we just have to get past, but do we ever really consider that God wants us to do our best with it? I know I didn't, and I know it hurt me. God is calling you, whether you're in high school or in college, to do your work unto him. When your sibling needs help with their homework, don't just be like, yeah, two plus two equals four, get out of here. Like, help them. Sit down and spend some time with your sibling. When your friend asks to borrow money, like give them money and give, us, give them an extra five bucks and say, hey man, I love you. Don't be like, all right, I'm getting out my phone. I got an app called IOU. Like you better pay me. I'm gonna send my boys to come rough you up. Or girl, I'm gonna send my girls to come rough you up. I don't know. Um, like love people. And when you see a homeless guy on the side of the road, I think it says a lot about us, whether we're the type of person who looks at that guy and says, go get a job, you dirty bum. Or whether we're someone who says, you know what, mom? Hey, let's go to Jack in the Box. Let's buy a big old bag of food. Let's go back. Let's give it to that guy. And hey, do you have a pen? I'm going to write down some verses and a note about how much Jesus loves this guy. We'll put it in the bag. Oh my gosh. Guys, love people. Go the extra mile. I think another thing we can learn is that love is something you do. And Lauren, I used a, a picture from your trip in Haiti because I was very blessed by that. Um, and I'm blessed so much when I hear about mission trips that you guys go on. And I'm excited to go on mission trips with you guys in the future. To love people in another country, you have to do something. You have to go there. You have to love them. You can't just like a Facebook status about like how people are in trouble and go, oh, I, I like that. We don't like the people in trouble, but like liking doesn't do anything for the people in other countries. Like liking doesn't generate any sort of help. Love is an action, it's something we have to do. And here's the crazy thing, Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what you've heard. He said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's what people have taught. Then people go, yeah, that makes sense, Jesus. But Jesus says, listen, I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus, again, goes to the root of our hearts. The truth is we're wired to hate our enemies. I was here listening to two girls in junior high who were talking about, that girl is my sworn enemy. She's terrible. I hate her. We're sworn enemies. Actually, that wasn't two junior high girls. That was Taylor Swift talking about Katy Perry. Like, that's the way our society is. Like, it's just we, someone, someone says something wrong against us. Someone is mean to us, and it's like we hate them. You know what Jesus doesn't say? He doesn't say, hey, tolerate your enemies. He doesn't say, hey, when your enemy's around... Don't kick him. Give him stink eye. It's better. It's not what he says. Jesus says, love your enemies. Love is an action. For instance, if I come home and my wife, I'm sitting on the couch playing video games, which I do, and my wife comes to me and she's like, hey, help me with, help me bring in the groceries. And I'm like, okay. I'm gonna think helpful thoughts. As I'm playing video games, I'm like, mm, man, I hope she gets help. Like, mm, man, it'd be great if someone helped her. Oh, helpful thoughts, helpful, helpful, helpful. If I'm just thinking helpful thoughts, nothing actually happens. And when it comes to our enemies, if we're just like, yeah, I'll just think, I'm just, I'll just be like a well-wisher, like that, um, mm, like I hope that their life goes good. Like I hope, I hope everything's okay for my enemy. I'm just gonna think helpful thoughts. Like that doesn't do anything. Jesus literally says, love your enemies. It has to start in the heart. The heart is where good or evil comes out. It's crazy. The evil in your heart will eventually come out. You will not expect it, but it will. 
You will try to hide that evil. You will try to suppress that evil. But if you have hatred towards someone else, if you have bitterness towards someone else and you don't ask God to change that, it'll come out. Case in point, that kid, Michael, we're on the playground. We're in third grade. He said something so mean to me. And I was just like, I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I was like, I'm not going to hit him. And I went to the little playhouse on the playground and I tore off a piece of the roof, this tar, this tar piece. And I threw it in the air. Like, just threw it off in the distance. That piece literally boomeranged, hit Michael right in the face. He's bleeding all over the place. I get sent to the principal's office. The evil in my heart literally manifested itself and became a boomerang of dark justice. That's what happened. And it's wrong. And guys, in the same way, if you harbor bitterness and hatred and anger towards people and you don't actually choose in your heart to love your enemies, to look at them as someone who's dying and needs help and needs Jesus, then that bitterness and anger will come out one day. It'll explode and you will not be able to control it and it will consume you. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. That word are, that means us and all of our enemies. Not just like, he's my personal savior, all of my sins, he was wounded for. No, he was wounded for everyone's sins, the sins that were done against you. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Some people are easy to love, some people are not. And think about what Jesus, I mean, he was sent to love his enemies. The Bible says before we knew Jesus, we were enemies of God. It'd be like, if somebody went to an American and they're like, hey, we're going to send you to the Middle East to ISIS. And you're like, oh, sweet. Are you like, what am I doing? Am I bringing in grenades? Am I bringing in like homing pigeons? Like with bombs? Like what? Am, I don't know. Like what, what am I doing? Am I attacking the enemy? And they're like, no, we're going to send you to ISIS to like just love on them. Like just like preach the gospel to them and like try to witness to them and like just be really friendly to them. It'd be like, what? Like I know that sounds like a stretch, but think about it. We were enemies of God. We were destined for death. God, we were destined for hell. God looked at us and said, you are my sworn enemy, but I love you. So I'm gonna send my son to go live with you and hang out with you. Not to like, I mean, God could have totally sent Jesus to earth as like an angel of justice to like just go around and be like, hey, you sinner. Like just destroying everybody. He could have done that. And it would have been awesome to watch. And none of us would be around because all of our ancestors would have been killed. Um, so think about it. Jesus sends his son to earth to love people. Jesus expects us to follow in his footsteps. And none of you are dealing with terrorists. You're dealing with people that you feel like are terrorists in your life, life terrorists, people who are dropping bombs of hatred and gossip on you. What are you gonna do to them? Are you gonna hate them back? Are you gonna throw a bomb back? Or are you going to love them? One of the greatest like one of the greatest philosophers of our generation wrote this. I stay up too late. Got nothing in my brain. That's what people say. Go on too many dates, but I can't make them stay. At least that's what people say. But I keep cruising. Can't stop, won't stop moving. It's like I got this music in my mind saying it's gonna be all right because the player's gonna play, play, play. And the haters, they're gonna hate, 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 but baby, I'm just going to shake, shake, shake it off. We're wired that way, right? Either you're wired to get revenge or you're wired to, hey, if someone comes against you, just shake it off. Just, you know what? You don't need them. 
you don't need that drama in your life. You just, you know what? Forget them. Just shake it off. Talk to the hand. You just let them hate and you just go on and live your life because you're better than them. I don't know why I just turned into, I don't know what I just turned into, but that was amazing. Um, <laughs> okay, my final point is love goes beyond shake it off. Love really does go beyond shake it off. Jesus says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully spitefully use you and persecute you. Go out of your way to love them. What is the application for this? Someone who's gossiping about you? Text them something encouraging. Like, hey, I was reading my Bible, and this verse, I just think, not, hey, I was reading my Bible, and this verse, gossipers go to hell, and they will burn forever. I just, this just made me think of you. Here you go. Like, no. <laughs> like, like, really pray for them, and be like, God, what, what can I say to encourage them and point them to you, and then text that to them. Oh, my gosh, see what God does. The person who hates you, buy them lunch. Like, what's crazy? The Bible doesn't say that. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Someone is cussing you out, go buy them lunch. That's a blessing for them. They're going to be like, what the, what? Do good to those who hate you. I'm, I was reading this, and I was just struggling with it because I was like, like, but that's what Jesus says. Like, love them, bless them, do good to them. The person who uses you like a chess piece, some of you guys feel like that? There's people who are moving around in their little chess piece and their little drama games. Pray for them. Not, Lord. I pray that they would just be convicted of their sin and that if, they're, if they don't, within two weeks, I pray that you would strike them down so hard that they would just like writhe in agony. Send your holy fireballs, Lord. Send them. Like, no. You guys are like, Aaron is so weird. That's how we feel, though. That's, that's the, what, those are the kind of prayers I prayed. Pray for them. Lord, bless them. Lord, help them. They're obviously struggling with something. Lord, Lord, help them. Free them from this, Lord. Lord, I pray blessings on them. The person who's out to get you, pray blessings on them. Something, I was talking with my old pastor, Evan Wickham, about this and just the, the nature of how we treat our enemies in the world. Uh, people in our life, revenge movies, it's like, our enemies, let's kill them. And Evan said to me, I think it's categorically impossible to love your enemies if they're dead. Which totally makes sense. If your enemies are dead, you can't really love them. You can't go to their grave and be like, I love you. Like, they're dead. You can't love a corpse. That's, that's weird. Don't do it. <laughs> Jesus says, love your enemies. And you guys are going to think, like, well, I'm not going to, like, kill my enemies. I'd go to jail. But listen, we can kill our enemies in our heart. What does Jesus say just a couple verses earlier? If you hate somebody, you've killed them. And some of you guys have people in your life where you're like, they're dead to me. Now, they're not literally dead, but you've killed them in your heart. You've cut off all ties. I don't talk to that person anymore. I don't look at them. I don't think about them. They're dead to me. We're dead. We're done. We're through. You can't love your enemies if they're dead to you. I'm not going to even talk about that anymore. Just think about it, okay? This is an awesome quote. Christ-likeness is not extending mercy after an adequate apology, but extending mercy while you're still being crucified. Wow. That hit me like a ton of bricks when I heard that. Think about it. Christ-likeness, if we want to be like Jesus, if we want to be like Christ, it's not extending mercy after an adequate apology. 
They hurt me, so I'm waiting until they come to me and they apologize and they get down their knees and their bag and then I'll forgive them. Then I'll show them mercy. Then I'll show them grace. Then I'll start talking to them again. Then I'll start being friendly again. It's extending mercy while you're still being crucified. When Jesus was on that cross, stripped naked, beaten, crown of thorns pushed into his head, beard ripped out of his face, flogged with a cat of nine tails, bleeding out, dying, suffocating on a cross. And he looked at his enemies and he said, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. I mean, it's pretty clear. I struggled really a lot with this this text, but it's really clear. If we want to be like Jesus, you love people while they're they're crucifying you, metaphorically. You love people while they're running you through the ringer. You love people while they're torturing you and while they're making your life miserable. You love them. That is tough. How do we do it? We ask God for help. Because again, this analogy comes up a lot, but I'm going to keep saying it until we get it. Following Jesus is not about your responsibility to be perfect. It's about your response to his ability to be perfect. If Jesus, as God, comes down to earth and he lifts up a giant boulder and he says, now you do it. It's your responsibility as a Christian to do what I do. You're not going to be able to lift that boulder because you don't have boulder lifting powers. But if he lifts up that boulder and he says, hey, come put your hand underneath this thing. Let's lift it together. It's not you and your responsibility. You're responding to his ability. You're responding to his ability to be loving. You're responding to his ability to be graceful. You're responding to his ability to be forgiving. You can do it because Jesus can do it through you. And I'm going to end with a story of great forgiveness. And I'm going to show you guys. I want you guys to listen to what is being said in this story and really let it hit your heart what it means about loving people that we should by all normal accounts, be calling our enemies. So let's close with this.
what's going on at home. Just, just everything about life we share together. There's a, there's a bond. There's a, there's a camaraderie um, that's there. That's I think just unique. The, the, the memories that we have, the things that we've shared, have just been um, amazing. Um, to be honest, I wish that our friendship would have started under different circumstances. I work as a firefighter EMT. Um, I was just finished uh, getting off a 24-hour shift. Uh, we had an extremely busy shift. Um, I really only got about 30 minutes of sleep. I drove home, and uh, I didn't really feel the need that I, I needed to pull over. So about two miles from my house, um, I ended up falling asleep at the wheel and crossing the center line and uh, hitting an oncoming car head on. I had just woken up uh, that morning and, and I heard a, a pounding on the front door. And so I went to see what was going on and uh, the senior pastor from my church where I serve, Jeff, was there. He had told me that my wife and my daughter had been in a car accident. That I need to get my keys, get my cell phone, get my wallet, and let's go. So I grabbed my stuff, we jumped the truck, we went to the hospital. When we got to the hospital, uh, the chaplain met us uh, in the emergency room and kind of walked us to the counseling room. The doctor began to share kind of what had happened that June had sustained um, severe head trauma um, and, and some broken bones and, and the steering column had actually been um, crushed in towards her abdominal area. And due to the injuries that she sustained, um, that she had gone into cardiac arrest almost immediately, uh, the EMTs um, did everything that they could uh, on the way to the hospital to try to do aggressive CPR and, and keep her going. But when they got to the hospital, um, they, they pronounced her dead. Um, my wife was also pregnant, uh, almost seven months pregnant uh, with our son, and, um, and we lost him as well. Faith, uh, who was 19 months old at the time, was also in the car, but amazingly, uh, she came out of it with, uh, with no injuries, just some mild abrasions and some bruises. Um, hearing, hearing the news, uh, just trying to process it, not only did I lose my wife and my best friend, but I also lost a son. <clears throat> I went outside uh, to call my mom and tell her what had happened. And it's the most difficult phone call I've ever had to make. So here I was, I just had the worst day of my life. Um, and, and, and I opened my Bible and I was just like, okay, God, you know, what do you have? I just lost my wife, I lost my son. And I remember, uh, a sermon that I'd heard oh, years ago just came back to my mind, and it was talking about how that, that there's, there's a bigger picture uh, going on, and that we have a tendency to, to look at our lives as little three-by-five snapshots, and we tend to get focused on you know, whether our three-by-five is okay or not, and, and, and we lose sight of the fact that God is doing bigger things. His story is bigger than just ours, that He paints on a canvas the size of the universe. It was a turning point. I think it saved my life because if I was left to my own devices, my own ability to figure things out, I probably would have just crawled into my bed and just hid. Initially, I went through every emotion possible. Uh, it was really hard for me to come to grasp of how this could have happened to me and why this happened to me. I was a good kid. I was raised in a Christian home and how this could happen to Eric and his family, um, him being a youth pastor and really living his life for the Lord. Uh, for the first couple weeks afterwards, um, it really broke me down to the lowest of the low. And uh, one night I just, I threw my hands up in the air and I just gave up and I said, God, I need your help. And 
and I'm really trusting you and putting all my faith in you that you had a reason for this and that you do have a plan. And it was that, that moment when it was like he placed his hand on my shoulder and wrapped me in a blanket of comfort. Initially, it was tough not being able to talk to Eric because of legal issues. All I wanted to do was to make sure that he was okay and express my emotion and sorrow to him, and I couldn't. Uh, all everybody could tell me is that, that Eric was praying for me and wishing comfort upon me, and I really couldn't understand that, but I knew that that was God working through him. So I got a call from the Solicitor General, and uh, she was wanting to know how I wanted to pursue the case against Matthew. I could push for the maximum penalty, which possibly would have meant jail time, but would have definitely eliminated um, any hope of him being a firefighter in the future, or I could opt for a lesser charge. And I remember thinking that this, this would be a wonderful opportunity um, for God to get glory and for Christ to be um, lifted up. Uh, it's not going to bring June back, um, and I'm, you know, I'm certain he struggles every day, you know, just having to think through what happened. So I just decided to opt for the lesser charge uh, as an opportunity, again, to, to demonstrate God's forgiveness and God's love. The day before the two-year anniversary of the accident, I still had not spoken to Eric. I stopped at Poets to get him a card, just let him know that I was thinking about him and praying for him and his family. As I got out of my truck to walk into the store, I saw Eric walking towards me. There were just tears uh, streaming down his face. I, I, just, I just walked up to him and I gave him a hug. And um, we embraced for a short time. And then I began to share with him kind of what God had taught me uh, these past two years and, and about the big perspective that, you know, that God had given me. He began to share what was on his heart, and it was just, there was a connection. Um, there, there was a bond that was immediately developed. Um, and we talked for an hour and a half to two hours, and it was just a, it was a beautiful time where we shared um, just experiencing God's grace, God's healing, the power of forgiveness, the restoration. Um, I communicated to him a desire that I had to, to stay involved in his life, to, to invest in a relationship with him, from this point forward, and he immediately um, echoed the same sentiment to me that that was something he had desired as well. And we wanted to just stay in touch and continue to grow in, in our relationship with each other as we continue to grow with, with God. And it was just to me amazing how God orchestrated all of this uh, together. I mean, we happened to be at the same place on the same day to talk for the first time. And I remember thinking, had we not met, uh, and had this conversation, we wouldn't be where we are today. In fact, it was an opportunity that God used to not only heal and bless us, but we feel like it's going to be one that He uses to heal and bless others as well. All I remember is Eric telling me that he wasn't mad at me and that he didn't blame me. And all I can tell him, could tell him is how sorry I was. God has taught me through Eric the power of forgiveness healing through forgiveness and his faithfulness. Me and Eric now share a bond that is unbreakable. And through Eric's friendship, my life has forever changed. Now, don't think this is a rainbows and butterflies kind of story. Um, it's, been a, it's been a rough road. It's been a lot of lonely nights, um, tremendous pain, um, thoughts of uncertainty and, and frustration. There's not a day that goes by that I don't wish June was still here. But through it all, God has been with me. You know, I never would have wanted to endure 
what I went through, and I never want to feel that way again. But I am who I am today because of what God has done in me through these circumstances. And for that, I'm thankful. You know, one thing I've learned from this whole experience is this, is that God is faithful. And that when our little bit of faith would intersect with His faithfulness, God shows up big and does some amazing things in us and through us. So awesome. Yeah, just, I love that story. It's some, something where anybody could look at that guy and say, you, that guy killed your wife and your kid. He's your enemy. Like, you should hate him forever and never forgive him. And, the, I mean, to see that, that that guy, like, basically disciples that guy now and loves on him and gives him Jesus, I mean, that's incredible. And I know that sets the bar really high, but I think that's such a great example of what Jesus tells us to, to love our enemies. If Jesus can forgive the people who crucified him, if he can forgive that guy who killed his wife, we should be able to forgive the people who treat us wrongly. I want to encourage you guys, forgive others, love others, love your enemies, really pray today about what this means to you and what Jesus is trying to tell you through what we learned today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you loved us when we were first your enemies. We thank you, Lord, that you cared for us. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your son down to die a brutal death for us. And we thank you, Lord, that you now disciple us, your enemies. You, you love us. You spend time with us. You created a friendship with us, God. We do, we do not deserve such grace. We pray, God, that we would show that grace to others. We pray that we would show that forgiveness to others. And God, I pray for anyone here who has enemies, I pray that you'd set them on the path of love. I pray, Lord, that you'd teach them to love their enemies. And I pray that they would see amazing fruit and amazing, miraculous things from their decision to follow you in this very hard, very complex matter I pray that we turn our hate and we turn our bitterness over to you and we'd exchange them in for a new heart that's full of love for everyone, even those who cause us pain. Help us, Lord, to forgive those, not when they've apologized properly, but while we're still hanging on that cross, Lord, like you were. Help us, Lord, to be crucified with you. Help us, Lord, to let our old self die and help us, Lord, to continue allowing us to be made into new creations who love and forgive and lay down our lives the way you did. We love you, God. Thank you, Lord, for defending love before you defended yourself. Help us to do the same thing. We love you, Jesus. We ask all these things in your amazing, holy, wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Go forth and love people.